Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the podcast series Considering Christianity as a Scientist. And this is podcast number seven, Considering the Teachings of Jesus. And we are in part three of a three-part series discussing the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' initial and seminal teaching events and one that has great import for understanding Christianity. This podcast series is for those who think critically and think like scientists and feel an inner tug, a pull, a a concept of something higher and greater than ourselves. And I want you to consider that that is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ calling to you And so this podcast series is for us to think about and consider what Christianity is with the hope that maybe it is something that you choose to follow and choose to believe in. If you listened to our last podcast, you know that we stopped our second part of the Sermon on the Mount discussion, talking about things that you probably have heard before in common and popular culture. Uh, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and if anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Please go back and listen to that, and hopefully it adds some insight into your concepts of that. Basically, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives basic concepts of atti- and attitudes that we should have and practice, things that improve and help our spiritual belief system. Then he gives us examples of putting those into action. And then he gives us examples of behaviors that are associated with those same concepts. It's a remarkable set of teaching. We begin part three with the following verses. And if you remember, we are using the book of Matthew of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are using the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the book of Matthew. Please listen to podcast number five, and it helps explain part one of this series on the Sermon on the Mount and kind of gives you a insight into the authors of those four Gospels and who they were writing to and why. But we begin here. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. No truer statement was made. In all the good we see in the world and all the bad we see in the world, All of the natural events that we understand as thinking people, as scientists, happen to both good and bad. And it makes a lot of people say, well, what is the difference between good and bad with respect to the natural world? We've talked a little bit about that before in parts one and two of this Sermon on the Mount series, and we'll continue discussing that. And this next verse sort of begins that process again. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And Jesus is again picking on the tax collectors. If you remember, tax collectors were Jewish citizens, members of the Jewish nation who worked for the Romans. The Romans were the overlords, the conquerors. They were the government authority since Judea and all of Palestine was a province of Rome at the time. And these Jews worked for the Romans, taking money from their own people and giving it to their conquerors. They also skimmed some off the top, and most Jewish tax collectors at the time were considered evil and dishonest. Strangely, Matthew was a tax collector, the author of this material that we are using as part of this series. He had become an early disciple of Jesus. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Well, the Gentiles were everybody who were not Jewish. The Jews practiced the law that they believed was given them by God, and we have talked about that. Ten Commandments, all of the laws that are recorded in the Old Testament that the Jews practiced at the time. Jesus is addressing them in this sermon saying, you guys really aren't practicing these laws the way they were intended, and unless you do, you are not going to make it to heaven. So he's actually here comparing the Jews to the Gentiles. He goes on to say, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What a difficult statement that is because the concept of perfection as compared to Jesus is, well, Christians believe it's the same as compared to God. And Jesus is basically stating that. So it's, it's something we strive for. It's a goal. If we practiced everything that we have discussed in these last two podcasts, it helps us achieve some directional semblance, directional approach to being perfect with respect to our spiritual relationship with God. We move to the next chapter and Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Well, that is very forward and upfront plainly stated. Do not be superficially righteous. Do not be righteous as a way of gaining favor, as a way of gaining popularity, as a way of making yourself seem better than others. Jesus despised that. Most people recognize that when they see it, and they also despise that. Jesus is plainly saying, don't do it because you get your reward now, and you will not get it from your Father who is in heaven. He continues, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, it's inconceivable to me that we would blow a trumpet to go show others and to announce ourselves as getting ready to give to some charity to give to our church, to give to someone on the street who needs it. But that was being done by many at the time. 
They wanted praise. They wanted glory. They wanted to be better than others by showing that, hey, I've got money and I'm going to give it to the poor. And you should say, hey, you are really something. Jesus says they're getting their reward right then and they will not get their reward in heaven. But he also goes on to say something that's even more interesting to me. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying we should give unabashedly, but we should give without external praise. We should give even without rewarding ourselves. You know, we can feel good about giving, but we can't internally praise ourselves because that's much the same as external praise. We give because we want to. We give because we love. We give because it needs to be done. Next, he talks about praying. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. All of this external religiosity, all of this external praise, all of this external do-gooding that is for self-aggrandizement, these people are getting their rewards now. God does not want that. He wants us to do what's on the next verse. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Well, the Gentiles pray, prayed inside the temples to Zeus, Apollo, Diana, Athena, they were praying to Jupiter. They were praying to other gods. There were still practices of the Canaanitic gods in the region, Baal and others. And prayers were repetitious statements, beating of chest, public praise, prayers on the outside of the temples to show how dedicated these people were to their gods. The Jews were doing the same thing, but they were doing it in the synagogues. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Be secret with God. Go somewhere quiet so that you and God can talk. And then he goes on to say this. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Easy thing to do. Father in heaven, yes. Holy is your name. We praise God because he is the highest conceivable thought, the highest conceivable ideal, the highest conceivable concept that we can have. Please go back and listen to podcast one. He is also praying for his kingdom to come to those listening to him on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was wanting the kingdom of heaven to come to those people then. He wants God's will to be done on earth. One of the things that makes humans unique is that we have free will. That's what makes our relationship with God so difficult, is that we can choose to do other things that are against the overall desires of God 
And Jesus is asking for us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus begins entreaties in his prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Very simple statement. It's, uh, it's an analogy. Bread is food. We all want food. Remember early in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This verse sort of refers back to that. But give us what we need for the day. And he's not really praying for anything else. There is a concept in Christianity that we can pray for everything. Money, riches, power, glory, popularity, celebrity status. That's really not Jesus. what Jesus is saying to ask for. Many people pray for that. But Jesus is asking simply for what we need for any given day. And he goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, in this case, debts may or may not mean money. It means trespasses. It means harm that we may have done to somebody else or may have been done to us. Forgive it. Forget it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God help us not be tempted to do things that are evil because we have this thing called free will or these things that go run counter to what you want us to do. Okay, especially related to our debtors, those who have harmed us, those whom, whom we owe things to or owe things to us. Temptation comes greatly there to make whatever our trespass is go away. And he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Pretty plainly stated. And then he goes on to discuss other activities that were common in the day among, among the Jews. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when we pray, do it privately. When we give, do it privately. When we fast, do it privately. You and God, me and God, not for the public. And then considering earthly goods. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, this is very true and we all know that we worry about our bank account we worry about our retirement account we worry about things we've spent a lot of money for that we have in our homes we worry about the expensive stereo system or music system we just purchased or the super sophisticated computer that we just pur purchased we worry about things like that or the size of our car the fastness and the quality and the newness of a vehicle, something like that. We, we treasure those items 
Jesus is saying, do not treasure that above the things I have taught you, above love, above mercy, above meekness, above hungering and thirsting after righteousness, above mourning for the condition of yourself and others. Where we worry about that sort of treasure, that's where our hearts happen to be. We cannot break our spirits away from that. We do not need to be burdened by that. We may have it, but we need to use it in a righteous and holy manner, in a spiritual manner. And it does not be, need to be the all-consuming things that we have to have in order to justify our existence because once we do that, we separate ourselves from considering God, from thinking towards God, from thinking spiritually. And, and as a support to that, he goes on. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is an alliteration. This is an example. It, it's, it supports the treasure statements he made just previously. If we see things that we want, if we see things that we have to have, and we let that vision corrupt our thought process, then how dark is the rest of our vision concerning our spiritual nature, concerning our fellow man, concerning our relationship with God? We see darkness instead of seeing the spiritual light that he has been discussing. And he, he further discusses this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This has been said in millions of sermons in the last 2,000 years. We become servants to our possessions. We become dedicated to the things that we have. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Serve God first. All of these other things will be added to you as you need them. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Because he goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's just worth thinking about. It's a wonderful example. Everything in nature is supplied with everything that it needs, and so will we. He further states, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Matter of fact, we know from med medical sciences that being anxious can actually detract from our span of life. It's worry. It's blood pressure. It's mental agony. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. We all recognize the beauty of nature and of our creation around us. And it's magnificent. And Jesus is saying, why do we worry about trying to dress ourselves up? Because even Solomon, and Solomon was considered to be the most wise, luxurious, wealthy king in all of Israel with the most magnificent palace, the most magnificent clothes, the most magnificent wives. And everybody would see Solomon as like, wow, he's the rock star. So Jesus is saying that, you know, even Solomon was not as glorified, was not as beautifully arrayed as just a flower in the field. And he verifies this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus was going around teaching, healing the sick, giving wisdom and insight, spiritual knowledge to people who were seeking God. And I suspect he had been looking at groups of people in the crowd around him and he could sense that they were worried about where's my next meal going to come from? Uh, what am I going to eat tomorrow? How am I going to pay my bills next week? I see all these people around me with good clothes on, yet I have tears and rags and dirt on mine. How am I going to get better clothes as I follow around with all these people that are following Jesus? Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We continue even in the next chapter, into the next chapter. And he's giving more insight into behavioral aspects that we should seek as Christians. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think Jesus was referring back to his carpentry builder history and his analogy. And he's, it goes back to being a hypocrite, like those who pray, like those who give publicly and on the street corners. He's saying you cannot go judge somebody else for what they're doing 
when you are doing the same thing and possibly in a much worse manner. You've got a log in your eye. Why do you worry about somebody else with a speck in theirs? Get rid of the log that you have in your eye. Get rid of that hypocrisy that you are practicing before you can even begin to consider somebody else being a hypocrite. Judge yourself first. He goes on, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. A lot of people have asked, how does that phrase actually refer to what he just said? Or how does that phrase refer to the next few statements that he makes? I believe that Jesus is quite simply saying this. Being a spiritual person, praying to God, giving to the poor, helping the needy is a holy thing. But there are some people that will ask those things, do those things without respect to the goodness, to the spirituality, to the holiness, to the godliness that they were offered from. You do have to judge a little bit in that case. And it becomes a matter of common sense. You cannot give money to someone who is going to take that money. This, this is a common example on any street in any major city. You want to help someone on the street. That person may want that money, for example, for something that will harm them. Drugs, alcohol, some other reason. You need to be cautious about giving them money for that because by giving them money, you are helping them to continue to harm themselves. Maybe it is something else that they need. Because he goes on to say, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Simply stated is asking God. This is through the prayer that he taught us to pray, or the, the, the method of praying that he just taught us to pray. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? As we ask God, God will give us what we need, okay? What we ask for. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We have returned back to Jesus' original statement for the Sermon on the Mount, saying that not one jot or dot will be lost from the law until all things have been accomplished. But he then goes on and defines exactly what the law is. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this very well as the golden rule. He then describes that doing all of this is not exactly easy because of our human nature. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
it's easier since we are beings of free will to do those things that are easiest that's you know law of thermodynamics it's easier to do those things that are easiest to do and that's not what jesus is saying it takes a concerted effort to be a spiritual being and to follow the practices and the rules the guidelines the desires and the hopes that he has been speaking about because there are others who will help you take the easy road he says beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by their fruits i believe jesus was looking across the crowd of his followers and there were people there that wanted to teach and be like jesus but with their own ideals and their own concepts further in the new testament and then in other histories that document things that occurred in the new testament histories there were people who were teaching and preaching in jesus's name for their own benefit for money they were false prophets and in all cases it was recorded that they came to a very bad and bitter end so jesus is saying diligently recognize those people who are not telling you the truth who are doing things that seem counter to what i have said and to watch out for those he verifies that by going on and saying not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven you can't just cry and be a christian on the outside you have to be a christian on the inside on the day that people are crying to him lord lord he says on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus again, I believe, is using his carpenter, builder, mason history talking about house construction things that everybody there would fully understand i'll say it again and again and again jesus's teachings were both specific to people around him and universal across all of time and space to everyone who would hear or read them later just remarkable
But Jesus is saying there will be those who will take part of what I'm saying and use my name for their own benefit. And they will do some great things. Jesus is saying they will not make it to heaven. He will not accept them when they come to heaven. He will recognize those who are practicing his beliefs in truth, spirituality, and righteousness. And then Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with those words. And there is a remark in Matthew about the reaction of the crowd. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This statement resonates throughout all of Christian belief. It was something that everybody at the time recognized. The land of the Jewish nation and state as occupied by Rome was full of teachers, religious authorities, various types of roaming prophets of not just Judaism, but also of other religions associated with the Romans. And they taught, apparently, not as ones who had authority, ones who knew, ones who had seen, ones who had done. They were teaching things that they assumed. They were teaching things they could not confirm. They were teaching things they did not know firsthand. Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I hope you found this discussion of the Sermon on the Mount meaningful and interesting. And this will conclude this three-part series and podcast number seven. And we will continue in podcast number eight with other teachings of Jesus. Thank you.